2: This Father's Day, give dad the gift that guarantees him a great morning, morning. every day. That's Tommy John's second skin underwear. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Get 30% off gifts for dad on select Father's Day styles at TommyJohn.com. Save 30% at TommyJohn.com. See site for details.
0: Hello and welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Jilly Flatty, Jesse Park Humphreys, and producer Becky. Becky. Yeah. You left something on Saturday night.
2: <gasps> oh, I great. have
0: it with me. So, Becky and I <laughs> went to see Self Esteem on Saturday night at the Hammersmith Apollo. And Becky's pre match, pre drinks <laughs> combination was a Coca Cola. Here <laughs> no, we go. Looks like fully. And a pot noodle, original curry flavour. Yeah, obviously. And um, Becky actually never tucked into these two pre-match items, so uh, I thought I'd bring did them Did you in. bring my other pre-match items? What, the Strong Bow Dark, dark fruit. Fruit. No, it was too heavy. I couldn't fit it all in my bag. I'm I was like, going to
2: crack one open right now. <laughs> I, said to, I said to my girlfriend, oh, we can leave those here. Becky will just want the pot noodle on the cola." Yeah, Coca-Cola, actually, am, I'm excited about this.
0: Yeah, here you go.
2: I'm going to edit the podcast here, and I might eat my pot noodle. Yeah,
0: a little What snack. a day. <laughs> there you go, and there's your Coca-Cola.
2: Thanks, um, thanks to Holly, Flo's girlfriend, who made us... Uh, made veggie hot dogs instead, so that's why I didn't oh, my pot noodle. veggie hot dogs.
0: It was a real, like, mum's meal. Like, here you go, kids, hot dogs <laughs> before you go to the gig. It was really cute. Um, and we had a great time at the gig.
2: Yeah, I cried, like, five times because it was just so great.
0: Yeah, I'm wearing my Six Music Dad merch today. Very exciting. So Flo, Flo
2: and Holly were in the seats because they are old. mum and dad.
3: Oh, no, I fully back that. <laughs> old.
2: Old and also, I'm really short. Like, yeah. Holly's tall, oh, but oh, it's it hard. the Polly floor
0: is... Um, yeah, Hamish of the Polo is decent actually if you are in like that because you do have a bit of a slant. So yeah, it it, were good. you towards the back
2: or we yeah, kind of like middle like towards the back, yeah. But had a great view. Had the best time. Yeah, it was great. It
0: was great. Um so yeah, there you go. Becky's got her snacks back.
2: Thanks. Now
0: we can finally move
2: on well, to talk about the We can't move football. on until I have my strong dark boots back. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Thursday, I'll okay. bring them in, Great, right? Thanks. Um, Obviously, on today's show, we're going to be talking about the big matches from Women's Football Weekend. We had that huge game between Manchester City and Chelsea, the North London derby. That game at Old Trafford in which Counterpress's own Kate Longhurst equaled Jilly Flaherty's record. It's just so much Counterpress' action. Uh, Kate equaling Jilly's record of 177 WSL appearances, which is massive. And also on Friday night, we had the Merseyside Derby. So we've got a lot of football to talk about. Let's get into it after this. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Right, let's start with the City-Chelsea game yesterday because it did have some pretty big implications for that battle for the title and for the Champions League and the table is looking extremely tight off the back of that result. Obviously, Arsenal and Chelsea have played Again, fewer than City and United, but with everything else that happened, we've got United at the top of the table, City, Chelsea, and then Arsenal. Jesse, obviously coming to you first as the Chelsea <laughs> rep on the pod. Not a good day um, for, for for Chelsea, and it was always going to be tough coming back off coming off the back of that massive result in Lyon. That obviously took a lot out of the team mentally and physically. Millie Bright being the uh, optimum of uh, absence yesterday. What was your general take on the game and Chelsea's performance? Uh, Chelsea were pretty bad.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't
3: know if Chelsea were as bad as some people felt, maybe after the game. Um, I I think it's it's hard because when you're playing that many games, stuff is obviously going to catch up with you. Uh, tiredness wise and I think you could see that in the performance but that being said I also think Emma Hayes got a lot of stuff wrong tactically Um, I think City deserves some credit but I also didn't think they were amazing either but you know they they took their chances and then they knew that they could sit back and just frustrate Chelsea I definitely feel like what felt more concerning to me was less some of the actual defensive errors which were bad but more how little Chelsea were able to create because Chelsea have never been a team who I would, like, hold up as these the pinnacle of, like defensive work. Like I don't think that's where Emma Hayes' strengths lie as a manager. Um I don't think Emma Hayes is, is ever going to be a manager who thrives off uh, you know, having a really defensive team. I think she is someone who really excels when she's coaching attacks. And, you know, Chelsea recorded their lowest XG of the season yesterday. They created almost nothing. Um with the caveat that, you know, I feel like this game could have gone differently if Samco hadn't been flagged offside when she went through one on one. But you know, like these things happen across the season. But maybe it was that, it was, I think, the combination of being unable to progress the ball up the pitch, unable to get the ball into dangerous areas, and then coupled with the really bizarre decision to make those subs after 35 minutes, which just totally killed the game from Chelsea perspective, just felt like you were flagging, like, either you didn't care or that you'd really got it wrong, neither of which I think were necessary things to do at that point. It wasn't like the Conti Cup final. It didn't feel like City were overrunning Chelsea, even though they had conceded twice in, like, what, nine minutes? Um, so yeah, it's a frustrating game, but like, look, it's the first game Chelsea have lost this season to a top four rival. It's the first time City have beaten Chelsea in the WSL in six years. Like, at some point, like those things are going to happen. And you know, I, obviously, the title race is very close. Chelsea would have been favourites before that game. Maybe they still are now. I don't know. It obviously is closer, but I also think this last six weeks or so, there's probably going to be quite a few more twists and turns.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll come back to that, but I also want to focus on City's performance yesterday, Jilly, because City have have quietly and not so quietly, to be honest, been going about their business after a rough start to the season that sort of did take them out of the title conversation, and then they've worked their way back in. They've probably got arguably on paper the best depth right now, injury wise, where other teams are struggling. So the, the the sort of result, not necessarily the performance, but the sort of result we saw yesterday certainly shouldn't be a surprise given how well City have played, especially, you know, that massive result against Arsenal where they just tore them apart, you know. So I feel like maybe people underestimated what City were going to bring to the table, not only in yesterday's game and how clinical they were going to be in those small moments they did have, but also actually probably have underestimated them across the whole season.
1: Yeah, I think obviously the, when they um, lost that first game against Villa, I think obviously people thought they're going to end up going one way because they'd had such a turnout um, the, at the end of the season. Obviously, they lost quite a few players. But I think with the charge that Man United had as well and it being sort of Arsenal-Chelsea-Man United, it's, I think that's helped Man City because they have... But people suggested they'd gone under the radar, but they were just literally quietly chipping away at their results. And I do think it obviously... They'll see the losing the FA Cup game against Villa as a huge blow because it was a chance for them to win something this year. But I do think that helps them in that sense because they've just got that solely to focus on now Is the, the WSL, obviously Chelsea still in the FA Cup, still got Champions League and obviously going for the the WSL as well. So it's sort of like, they, they don't have all that. They just literally have to keep their strongest eleven fit, really, um, to focus on the WSL game. So I think it's obviously been easier for them because the pressure's not been on them um, and some pla- some teams and some players play better like that when it's not the focusing on them and I think the Man United being where they are this year has helped take that pressure off of City as well
0: and another you know tremendous performance from you Hasegawa yesterday she's probably been maybe outside of Shaw City's best players uh this season we knew she was going to be crucial and w- wasn't just going to slot in and fill the gap left by Kirill because she's not exactly the same player but she's provided that really important kind of playmaker um who you know puppet master who kind of just keeps them ticking over Jilly, a player you played with at West Ham so how impressed have you been with her this season
1: yeah I think obviously playing with Yui last year like you know how good of a player she is, and you probably think in from West Ham's point of view, how long can we physically keep hold of her? Because the performance is that, that she sounded played, like you had her in a headlock. It <laughs> was at times. It was. It was very tempting to do that. Um, but you you know when a player is is playing as she did last year for West Ham, and like I said, no disrespect to the West Ham players that we had at the time, but you we could see passes and see things that those players just weren't on that wavelength. And I feel like now you're seeing her in a City team where she's obviously really linking up well with Bunny Shaw. Um, But then obviously I think playing really well with Coombs as well in the middle. But what I like Jesse was the defensive side of it as well. I think in the first half when Lauren James was still on, like there was one moment I watched it and Yui tracked her the whole way back. And sometimes I feel like with a midfielder, especially if they're an attacking midfielder and it's sort of that um, they're really good with their feet. And sometimes you think defensively are they going to be that great because obviously they're more attacking but I felt like because she's like on a similar wavelength to Lauren James with her feet I feel like she knew what she wanted to do and she's never going to be a a person who's like going to be smashing people and being a hard tough tackler but she don't need to do that if she defends well in the sense of just watching the feet and gets herself in good positions I think she done that side of the game really well yesterday
0: Yeah it's the way she reads the game which kind of takes her up to an elite level Jesse, you and I were chatting yesterday in those first 10 minutes of the game looking at how much space there was in behind that City back line and the pace that Sam Kerr had on Alex Greenwood and Steph Orton, we saw that in like the first two minutes where Sam Kerr has that chance. And Greenwood does well, to be honest, to push her out wide and force her out wide. And then Roebuck saves that chance and then Kerr's offside for a massive, massive chance a few minutes later. So it felt like actually in the early moments, Chelsea had quite a clear game plan and it, it could have worked. What do you think was the the biggest thing that unravelled them? Is it just the fact that once Berger makes that mistake for the first, it's like they can't get themselves back into the game? What do you think was the point where you felt
3: like we're not going to get anything today? When Emma Hayes made the substitutions <laughs> after 35 minutes. Um, I think in terms of game plan, it was a bit of a weird one. I think City did well to... They wanted Chelsea to have the ball, I think. And then they, they could kind of sit in this mid-block and they feel confident that... Chelsea weren't going to be able to progress the ball through them. And aside from like a couple of moments where Guru Radisson and uh, Jess Carter linked up, that that was like broadly true. The thing that surprised me about Chelsea is they literally just beat United and Leon by saying, fuck it, we don't care about progressing the ball. We're just going to lump it long and win the second balls. And I don't really understand why Chelsea persisted in... You know, trying to do these neat little passes between Magda Eriksson, Kadisha Buchanan, and AKB when the gap between the defence and midfield was, was so big. And, you know, I think there were individual errors, a number of individual errors from Chelsea defenders. But, and I think part of that is because lots of those defenders aren't real neat passers of the ball like an Alex Greenwood is, say. But you've also got to ask why are the defenders making those decisions? And it felt like they were making they were taking riskier passes because there was no one for them to pass to. And that, that's a problem of the midfield, not of the defence, or like the whole setup of the team. Um but I was surprised to see Chelsea not try and change that when it felt like they had really clear examples from their recent games of of what they could get out of it. And then with the substitutions, I kind of understood rejigging the midfield, but to bring Gura Ryton in as the number ten, it's like you're wasting like one of the best left wingers in the league to play her as a ten when you've got you know Chankovic, Jesse Fleming, two other tens on your bench. If you want to move Aaron Cuthbert back and taking Lauren James off, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it was meant to send a message. I don't know if Emma Hayes was just like whatever. I want to save her for Leon at this point because I think we're going to lose the game. But that's ridiculous after 35 minutes. But for me, Lauren James is the live wire in that Chelsea team. The player who could pick up the ball on the halfway line and just go and do something amazing with it. And not only that, I think well, she's obviously a great progressor of the ball because of how good she is with her feet. Um but she's also often quite good at holding on to possession and like kind of turning out of tight spaces, which was the problem Chelsea were having. So I don't know why they they took her off as opposed to maybe thinking about dropping her closer to Marmelo or even bringing her in like in inside as a 10. Um so yeah, I I just thought tactically like It was it was all a mistake. And I don't know whether because I think I don't know whether Emma Hayes was just distracted by the Lyon game because I think she probably correctly feels that if Chelsea beat Lyon on go through on Thursday in the Champions League, that everyone forgets about the City game. But if Chelsea don't go through on Thursday in the Champions League, suddenly you're out the Champions League. WSL looks nervy. And it's like that's how quickly your whole season can unravel. And with
0: Erin Cuthbert going off the pitch, which looks like maybe some... She's fine, she's fine. <laughs> she's she's fine. fine, Millie Bright's fine, don't ask me about Millie Bright, <laughs> yeah, she's fine. I saw those <laughs> quotes, which obviously I think is actually probably the worst thing that Chelsea fans want to hear. But also, Edda Hegerberg getting a goal within, what, minutes? 64 seconds, within I believe a, it took Hegerberg to score her first goal back. Uh, of coming back for Leon, which I know yeah, also fills Chelsea fans with quite a bit of dread. But you're right. It, it, I mean, does it does it feel Jesse that it now all comes down to that Lyon game on Thursday for Chelsea's season?
3: No, of course not. Because if we could still go and win the WSL and the FA Cup. But I mean, I said I said on a different podcast last week that if Chelsea didn't reach the Champions League semi-finals, I think it's hard to say the season's successful because I just think that's the kind of team Chelsea want to be, a team who reached the semi-finals of the Champions League regularly but equally Chelsea could still go and and win stuff it's a mark of how dominant Chelsea have been domestically that you know trophies that Arsenal or City fans would gag for feel like run of the mill for Chelsea like that's the reality right because they win everything so you know on the one hand it would seem ridiculous to suggest that if Chelsea win the WSL and FA Cup that it's been you know disappointing I wouldn't go that far but I do think beating Leon would be, would be a big, big marker f- for the team. And, um, yeah, I think that would make the season feel very different compared to, especially now there's the one-goal lead. I think if you give up that, then that feels very, very disappointing.
0: And, Julie, the reality for City is, and, and for Chelsea, is that because of that game in hand... City could win all of their remaining games and so could Manchester United and that neither side would win the title and I suppose it's still that advantage that Chelsea hold perhaps even with those key injuries to Brighton and and, you know we wait to see what happens with Cuthbert but even though Chelsea look like perhaps they're on the ropes a little bit no one would be shocked if you see them still win every single game and take the title in
1: May. Yeah, because I think that's just what Chelsea have earned over the last few years is that mentality, that's obviously what Emma's really good at. Um, they obviously, they know how to win a game. And I think when, sometimes when a result like this happens, I feel like that spurs Chelsea on a bit more. You know, like that sort of their backs against the wall. People are going, oh, you've lost it. I thought you were going to say something about. Me Planet Chelsea. Then. I was gonna say, <laughs> I see you coming in. Like I was
0: gonna say, take us into the dressing room for what the reaction would be like from Emma Hayes to a result like that yesterday.
1: Well, when when she come out after the game, obviously she was on the telly and she was just a bit like, I'm not gonna say nothing bad about my players, and I don't know whether she said that because after the Arsenal the game, she's done something completely different and come out, and people were saying she chucked the players under the bus. So she was like, I love my players, <laughs> but I feel like in that. In that change room, she probably didn't need to say anything because those players would have known, like, that's not acceptable. Like at the end of the day, of course, you're gonna have bad games, but it's so and, and you can't no team can well, it has happened, but really win everything that they like you've got to understand what their their schedules like at the moment. They're playing a lot of games, but them players, especially City away, you know, that that place is Been a difficult place for Chelsea. Obviously, when I was there, like it was a difficult place to go to. So, I feel like in that sense, this City away, you know, they will feel disappointed. They will feel hurt. But the good thing is that you have another game right around the corner. It's a difficult game, but it's a game to put things right.
0: Do you think this slightly panicked haze that we've seen in in recent weeks, where she is making really kind of abrupt tactical changes and and personnel changes in the middle of games. Is that something that you think is a new element creeping into the way that she's leading this Chelsea side? Or do you think she's always kind of been a problem solver in that way? She did
1: that, didn't she, against Wolfsburg? Was it she made subs in the first half? Yeah, but
3: what's weird is in all of these games, Wolfsburg, Conti Cup final, um, even if you go back to the Barcelona game where she made subs at half-time... Uh, this one they they never work like Chelsea haven't scored a goal in any of those four games where she's made subs at half time before
1: like to turn a game around so yeah I just I I I was a bit shocked yesterday I mean I was watching it and I was like oh my god Lil look there's a sub like within (laughs) 35 minutes like as a player I would die if that happened, if I got roped off at it, 35 minutes you were
0: saying in the group chat you would fake limp to the side of the pitch <laughs> I, you? I would
1: be sobbing like <laughs> I would be sobbing coming off because I'd feel like oh like but that's what I feel like. I feel like obviously she'd done it in the Arsenal game and if everyone was obviously it was early in the Arsenal game wasn't it but everyone was a bit like oh my god like making subs and it didn't really have much impact at all and then I felt like yesterday was, is it sort of like seen as like a panic like as in we got I, I didn't feel like Lauren James really also I think really wanted getting I felt like he could have held out for another ten minutes I at least.
3: I don't think any of the individual like the problem was tactical. so I don't so that, to that extent, I'm like, well you then sometimes have to make personnel changes to make it work. But yeah, the Lauren James one felt it was really, about, really bizarre. it was about
0: communicating to the back line Anne and and Berger. Don't play it out from the back. Don't play it short. You're trying to force it wide. Chloe Kelly and Lauren Hemper pressing your fullback straight away. They're getting into massive trouble kick it long like yeah, that well, was, yeah well, why
3: can't you just tell them that tell them um. that yeah
0: you can you can communicate that on the pitch you can communicate that to to Bergen, you can communicate that to your fullbacks that's why it was it was quite strange to switch everything up to try and solve a
3: problem that wouldn't have been sol- solved but, without that so this has made me wonder as well then whether it's just the sense that some of these Chelsea players don't really care about like the WSL for example like or that they don't the, the, these level of games don't motivate them in the same way that maybe it did Chelsea players two or three years ago and maybe the substitutions are meant to either bring on you know like a player like Johanna ritten Canarid who hasn't had a lot of minutes maybe she feels like she's got more impetus to try and show what she can do and it's that kind of thing of being like trying to wake the players up but it doesn't really feel like it's had yeah, much of Yeah and I, an I impact. feel
0: like that 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 is always like the ultimate insult, isn't it, to so many people to say it feels like you're not motivated enough or you don't care enough. And I think if Emma Hayes thought of her players, Jilly, she would be fuming, right? Because you can't you can't look like you you've checked out. And I think Sam curse because she's so competitive, you see her certainly wanting everything, going for it. And I can see what you mean about maybe elements of that in the rest of the squad, but I don't, it, I wouldn't say it's necessarily deliberate, but it's obviously one, eye's, one eye is always going to be on Thursday or looking back at, at the other night, which was like, we've got to go here, we've got to get something, we are going to just be professional, be smart, not take risks. And I think perhaps on Sunday, because of their really good form against City, because they feel like this season... They've been coasting a little bit at points. They felt like, oh, you know what? We can maybe not be at
3: 100% and we'll probably come away with a result at, at CFA. Well, because I don't want to be like Roy Keane here, <laughs> but at halftime when they came back out, Aaron Cuthbert was like laughing and I was like, Fair for, like whatever, you know, players are players. But for yeah. me, watching that, I was like, you're 2-0 down against City, like... Look annoyed or yeah. something. I, I don't know. Like for me, it was just that. Like that kind of showed like a relaxness, and maybe that was like a feeling because they thought they were going to get back into the game. I don't know, but it just felt like it kind of summed up the mood, which was like we're not that bothered that we're two 0 down to City at halftime, which is a result I think you should feel bothered about.
0: And I think there is a bit of a pattern, Jesse. Correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, you've been the Chelsea stato, but I feel like there is a bit of a pattern with Chelsea now where if they do go a goal down you like Chelsea fans and you struggle to see a way back for them in this game like I remember in the Conti Cup I was like oh I still think they could get a result yesterday I thought oh I still feel like you know if Chelsea get things right and make some changes they could get something but I feel like actually on the balance of match scenarios and results it's starting to feel more like unless Chelsea get a commanding grip on the game first they're going to struggle to get their ways back into it.
3: Yeah, I definitely feel like, you know, this season and maybe an element of last season, there there has been like that. I, I guess the obvious kind of standout this season would be uh getting the draw at the Emirates late on. Um But yeah, I, I do know what you mean. But I, again, I, this is why I think the subs don't help that. Because I think in both, in like, you know, the recent examples, this one, the Conte Cup one, you're not giving the players the time to work out for themselves the the issues on the pitch. And, like, these are very intelligent players. And if you're constantly shifting stuff, like, even the subs later on in the game... When Mara Mjelda's taken off, you know, Aina Czankovic is brought on, Guru Wrighton then goes back to left wing and Neve Charles comes back to right back. So Neve Charles has played like 30 minutes at left wing and now she's at right back. Guru Wrighton's been at left wing 30 minutes, gone and played as a 10 for another 30 minutes. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's very hard for, I think, for players to, to figure out on the pitch where, how they can break a team down if you're constantly, like, basically stirring the pot every half hour. <laughs>
0: I love that idea Really like right everyone move mix it up <laughs> it's a bit like, like musical chairs I was chairs. about to say it's like musical chairs it's like a kids play date I love that uh, well it, it, Thursday is massive we're going to be there Count press day out Jilly's on comms or well, not on comms you're doing it on Sky but are you at the studio you're not at Summer yes, Bridge at the studio oh damn mm-hmm. otherwise you could have had a big social uh, so yeah it, I think so much pressure is going to be on that and we wait to see about Millie Bright and Erin Cuthbert who are supposedly fine they're fine, they're fine. but
2: who knows manifesting
0: <laughs> right let's get on to to that game at Old Trafford next. So, obviously, we have to talk about Kate's record... I was going to say record-holding, but record-equalling appearance. She's currently tied with (laughs) Jilly and
1: Keris Harrop. But the record will be hers. We know it will be hers. <laughs> I'm sorry,
0: Jilly. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to
1: go to Tottenham's training ground and slide tackle Keri's <laughs> head. <laughs> okay, just gets it on her own.
0: But uh, she didn't. She didn't start, unfortunately. Uh, Paul Konchesky. I'll be having words. And to be honest, it wasn't a good night for West Ham. They haven't had the best season, and I think Saturday evening sort of spoke to that we're probably going to focus more on Manchester United here but for Mark Skinner I think it was a really important game because we've talked over the last few months about the fact that fans have been frustrated about the way that he's managed situations and managed games and not seen problems and not fixed them early enough and then they end up not getting results or just scraping results the Reading game that point against Everton But there was a bit more problem solving from Skinner here and that second half substitution with Lucia Garcia coming on does bring a bit of energy, a bit of impetus into the side. Sissoko gives away a poor penalty, but after that, you know, United really kind of got to flex their muscles. Jesse, do you think United fans should feel positive of the way that Skinner kind of reacted and the way the team reacted in the second half of this game?
3: Um, yes, but also (laughs) it was against West Ham. It's a bit like when I saw, you know, like lots of people like really buzzing about Villa as well. And I was like, well, you have beaten Leicester City. So, yeah, I thought Lucio Garcia was great. Um, I will say I also, you know, did have my eyes lingering on Bayern Wolfsburg for the majority of this game as well. Um... I had to double screen it. It's tough when... It th- is. This is the problem with the men's international break is they put all the... The best games. All at the same time. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really surprised me that Nikita Paris has been keeping Lucia Garcia out of the United team generally. Um, and I think... I think she's a player who can be a bit flaky, but so can Nikita Paris. So (laughs) I don't really understand the the benefit of starting Paris over Garcia. Um, And I think you obviously saw her her quality shine through in this game. But yeah, I mean, as soon as Sissoko gave the penalty away, it it wasn't going to go any other way, was it? And
0: that, that win, it sent United to the top of the table on Saturday night and they stay there because of Chelsea's defeat. Gilly do you think that United have what it takes to go on and win the title or do you feel like they will slip
1: away as we continue to get towards the end of the season? I'm conscious that there's a lot of United fans who listen to this podcast <laughs> It will probably be outside with daggers afterwards <laughs> if I say it. no. But You'll I be think... deleting your Twitter. again. <laughs> I'll be going. and I'll see you next season. Um, no but I do think with United all, all they can do is focus on themselves you know that's all they can do that For me, if if I'm the manager or a plan there, I'm saying, listen, don't even be bothered by what Chelsea are doing, what City are doing, Arsenal. It's it's about them. And obviously, yeah, they are still in, obviously, the FA Cup, which is obviously a great chance for them to get to Wembley and win win a trophy for the team. But I just think for them, they have to focus on themselves and not stress out about what anyone else is doing. Because that's all you can do. You can only take care of what you do. Um, And I think it... A game like West Ham at Old Trafford was ideal for them because I think that's what they probably needed confidence-wise rather than, say, playing an Arsenal or a City or someone there at Old Trafford. I think they needed just to, no disrespect to West Ham, but get a good result in, keep a clean sheet, get goals and that's all they can do going forward.
0: Yeah, it'd been it'd been a frustrating few weeks because they had that defeat against Chelsea at Kings Meadow where they were poor, they offered very little, and I think fans were really disappointed. Then they had the the game against Lewis, which obviously the attention and the love was was largely on Lewis, and and some United fans felt like they wanted to see. Uh, an improved performance where they would just blow away lower league opposition it didn't happen so like you say jelly this was so important to really be like right let our quality players show their quality looking at the run-in of all the top four but specifically Manchester United Of the big games, shall we say. They've still got to play Arsenal at home, which is huge. Obviously, they got that result away at the Emirates. And then they've got to play City, Manchester derby at home, second half of the season. So their two most important games come the end of the season are both at home against those big teams. Jesse do you see them being able to get the results they need specifically against arsenal and city at home because it's going to come down to that yes they can still drop points against some of the other teams they've got to play but in reality we always look at those head to head battles right so do you think they'll be able to get the results they need against those top teams
3: i think this is why this whole end of the season feels so hard to predict because i feel like the gif where everything's like floating <laughs> and you know the maths equations oh, yeah, are like yeah. because it, you could, I just feel like all four teams are so close to each other that, say, I could see United winning one of those games, but then not the other. But then, how? I I can't then start doing the maths to think about how that affects all of the other. And if sides, you can't do it, then the rest of us for fuck. No you're the your yeah, stats guy. I need. You know, sometimes they do with the Premier League. Uh, websites where you predict each result and then yeah. it tells that's what I need for the WSL <laughs> so if someone more techie than me can code that up that would be a lot of fun um, yeah I definitely think you know United will feel, obviously they beat an Arsenal already this season they drew with City and I think arguably were the better team in that game that they had so I definitely think they will feel like they can get results and and kind of deservedly so especially with both those games at home um but I don't know I think Arsenal Arsenal's role in the title race could be really interesting because they have City and then United either side of the international break right so I feel like depending on how those games go for both City and United and Arsenal that could really totally because Arsenal could be could feel quite far adrift if they were to lose both those matches. And then that's Chelsea's last hard, in inverted commas, because obviously I've got to go Villa away, match. Um, so then if like Arsenal are almost out of it, maybe by the penultimate game of the season, they won't care as much. But then also they might be trying to get into... So I, I just <laughs> don't know. Like it's, I don't know. It's so it's so cool like, to have a WSL title race be this... Close at this point in the season.
0: Yeah, a four way race as well. That's not really anything we've had before. We've had a, an amazing three way finish that went right to the end of the season, but we've never really had four teams who could all have a chance of winning the title. Tom Gary did do some hypothetical results. He didn't put what results he did, but he did say he did some hypothetical mapping out, which saw all four teams. Finish level on points, which is just like I don't know how he got there, but I quite like the idea of everyone so finishing you're working, level. Tom Garry,
3: um, who, who, who
2: came, who won though.
0: Uh, well he says um he like basically deliberately chose some scenarios in order to make goal difference very crucial so he he didn't actually like count the goals himself but he tried to make it so that they would all finish on the same points and therefore it would all come down to the goal That'd difference I was so excited. we should have a, we should amazing. have a super
3: over then for that point <laughs> and play like a mini tournament a little five a four. side game at kings meadow <laughs> or
0: something like that well when it comes to goal difference united are leading the way as well by four goals on uh, on Arsenal but actually City's goal difference is the worst of the top 4 which I find surprising or maybe not so surprising I don't know but um I thought in my head they'd had some kind of bigger wins but obviously Chelsea had that massive result against Leicester and you know have have been fairly solid this season but it, yeah it, it, you're right Jesse it is so exciting with Gilly and your experience your wisdom would you say this is the most excited you've been for a WSL title race
1: yeah most definitely I think as a player you you don't want that like as a player I would rather just be a two horse race to be honest or not even another horse in it just (laughs) just us Um, (laughs) that's what like you would like in an ideal world um but I think it's good because I think it keeps players on their toes you know you can't have that complacency when you know, you've got teams hot on your heels and sometimes I think that might, might be good for Chelsea because I feel like Chelsea have won so much and obviously Emma said it after that um, Conti Cup final was sort of that complacency but I think, I, I know obviously you wouldn't like this but if Chelsea <laughs> did lose the WSL this year then maybe that would be a kick up the backside for them to say listen, we can't take team for granted and we can't take winning and it's just expecting to beat teams in and around us.
3: I actually think it would be a Good thing if Chelsea didn't win the league. If I take, you know, being a Chelsea fan off, but we don't want to be like Liga F or well, any other league I'm where saying. everyone wins this every we, year. We've said this before
0: <laughs> is like the challenge is now on other teams to match Chelsea. Stop letting them win. <laughs> be better. That's what I say. Like, stop letting Chelsea win every season. It's up to you guys to match them. And I think we are seeing that this season. We've seen that with Arsenal's result in the Conti Cup, which is very important for the league as a whole to just. Stop letting them just coast through in third gear. Make them go up to fifth or sixth if they've got like a nice fancy car. Come on, guys. (laughs) Um, I want to quickly touch on the North London Derby before we get onto the Merseyside Derby because Gilly was pitch side. I want to talk about all the Sky Sports shenanigans that went down there. But North London Derby on the awful Brisbane Road pitch. Uh, I was there covering it. It was a... Weird atmosphere because it was just basically Arsenal fans really (laughs) loud the whole entire game and Spurs fans just being quite sad and quiet. Um, And to be honest, I was really impressed with Arsenal. I know Spurs are bad. Spurs are very bad. So we have to caveat with that. But I think off the back of that performance at Bayern where I felt like they didn't offer enough going forward, this was the perfect match for them because a bit like United at Old Trafford, it felt like just a training game where they could just try some different things. Everyone got, everyone got a go. Even Jodie Taylor nearly scored. Mm. It was like, everyone could kind of get involved in the play. Um, Some really nice finishing. It was just like the perfect confidence boost. And I think with those moments where I've seen Arsenal this season and felt like when I need them to really go for it and like, go for the absolute jugular and punish teams. They haven't. And I feel like ultimately on Saturday they did that. They punished Spurs for being really bad. And that is very important if you're an Arsenal fan because in WSL days gone by, Arsenal would always do that. I would get four goals and they'd beat Bristol like 11-0, whatever it was. Like You need those teams to really notice the moments where they can just drive a bus over a side. And I enjoyed seeing Arsenal tap into that again Jesse.
3: yeah I thought they looked really good I thought the the changes were, were cool I thought Victoria Pilova looked really good um, playing on the right which I think is interesting because it's not it's not her preferred position and when she joined I was kind of sceptical as how they were going to make this work because they already have like a gazillion number tens um, and I Yeah, I'm not sure about the whole like Norma at left back experiment. So I think it made sense to return Katie McCabe to that position. Obviously, we'll see whether they they stick with that against Bayern. Um, I thought Caitlin Ford had a really good game. She really followed up on um, her Bayern performance and, you know, her finishing was great. And that's something that we don't see enough from Caitlin Ford, like, That was her third and fourth goal in WSL and Arsenal need players like Ford to step up not only in their performance levels, which I think we've seen. I think she's generally had a very good season, but also in contributing in front of goal. Arsenal's problem is that it was a great win, but Bayern Munich had a greater win (laughs) at the weekend. And I think it'll be really interesting to see how that affects both teams. Because if you ignore Bayern's win, you'd say, well, Arsenal go into this game at the Emirates on um, Wednesday feeling justifiably confident with their second half performance against Bayern on top of this and after the the first leg I was kind of like oh I could see of all of the one nils I was like Arsenal feel like the team who are most likely to overturn it in their second leg but then I watched Bayern at the weekend and I was like mm, but Bayern will feel really really good after that result so Wednesday
0: night another big counter press day out Jilly, you're going to be there doing comms for five live Oh my God! She is booked and busy. She had bloody Merseyside derby, then she was doing PSG comms. <laughs> when then do you she's you sky. <laughs> I sleep when she's dead. I rough now. Nine 30. <laughs> Nine. Nine thirty last night. I <laughs> <know>. <laughs> uh, but how are you feeling about Arsenal's chances? As someone who quote, "Jilly Fante nicked a UEFA Cup medal," <laughs> so you've got that. You've got that experience.
1: How are you feeling about their chances on Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously a good crowd as well at the Emirates. Um, but it's the Champions League, you know. I feel, even though, like, you go in to the game, obviously, they're 1-0 down, but you it's still, it's just a game of football. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know, obviously, now the, um, obviously, the whole with the away goal thing and all that has changed. But I feel like if they they turn up and they're confident in front of the goal, obviously, the goals that they scored, I think, against Tottenham were, were really good as well, um, to be fair, but... It's a game of football and anything can happen, especially I think with the Arsenal fans behind them. I feel like some players sometimes play better with a a big crowd and it being being a big game as well. Um, But obviously you want, well, I'd like English sides to do well in the Champions League. So I'm hoping that Arsenal, yeah, can turn it around and get the win.
0: Yeah, the vibes are good at the moment. So they'll definitely need that on Wednesday. Before we go, Merseyside Derby, because Gilly, you were there on Friday night what a uh, what a broadcast from sky they they had everything they had cameras in the in the dressing rooms they had Matt Beard interviews live. Jilly's um, hair down. Jilly's hair Gilly. down. biggest <laughs> innovation. <laughs> it is really, they brought out all of that, all of the broadcast innovations. I was talking to uh, Kieran, uh, lovely Kieran Tevan from the FA on Saturday, and he was saying, Do you know what? Counterbreast should campaign for Kate Longhurst to be mic'd up in the middle of a game. Oh, can as, you imagine? A, as a Sky. I so
2: much money for
0: that. As a Sky innovation. So it got me thinking thanks Kieran for getting my mind going if you guys could come up with one Sky broadcast innovation it could be anything you want as silly and ridiculous as you want and we heard some of those on the Counter Press Conti Cup special if you want to go back and listen to it <laughs> but what would that innovation be? So for specifically for
3: broadcast
0: Yeah, specifically for broadcast so if you were doing the Sky broadcast and you were like guys I've got a wacky idea <laughs> what is that going to be?
3: I would like just a pure bench cam. Personally, because I love the like subs reactions to the game, and I also love when they get bored and they start like doing something else. And (laughs) you see it more in cricket, you know. People will have like their like crossword books and stuff like that. But I'd love to get a full, you know, look at what, especially on a game that, you know, no offense to the Merseyside derby, wasn't the most exciting at points. (laughs) To be able just to switch over to see what the subs were doing, Um, that would that would get my vote. But I wasn't a fan of the Matt Beard interview. I can't lie. I felt a bit
0: sorry for him because I thought this is the last thing he wants to do. Can you? Uh, c- it was ju- time
3: or no? Lizzie game. Hooper sidled up to Matt Beard. Agreed upon. I don't think she was just creeping. No, it was on like him. it was like fifteen fifteen minutes in or something. Yeah, to to interview him That's and say actually
0: insane. He's doing going? his job. It was I know. leave the man alone. It's very basketball. They do that in basketball, and I I, I it would really annoy me. I think they've I think I've seen an NFL. What as well What did he have to say?
3: Well, oh, we did not much. a lot. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah, because he's trying to
2: concentrate on the game. Yeah. I
3: thought it was interesting that I assumed Brian Sorensen said no yeah. to doing it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Poor old Matt Beard. He, he's He's good with the media. He normally just says yes well, to He's up most for things, anything. Yeah, <laughs> I love it.
1: Julie, any ideas of what you'd do? Yeah, so you know, um, when. Uh, <laughs> Straight I've been thinking in. about she this knows. one. You know, like when you see cyclists and they have the camera on, but it faces out. Yes. Yeah. I would like the camera faced in. So I would like, for example, Beardy. To have it on a camera on and just to watch him the whole game because he just go like nuts the whole game. I'd a bit like it.
0: Francis the TikTok train guy, yeah. You
1: know, one of those
3: like GoPros, that's yeah. Just put like... Right on his face, <laughs> so yeah. You can see he's and did it, and her face was like,
1: uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah. that's the, like the long yeah. one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. I think I would like to do what they do in Australia, where they, uh, or in rugby, where they mic the refs up. I think that would be quite good because I think you get some really good Katie McCabe chat <laughs> and Aaron Cuthbert as well. I think you get some good chat that you would pick up, um, and I would like, yeah, a little like ref cam and a little ref mic because um, I think it's like you get some funny moments. What was that one? That clip of John Nobbs when she was playing for England where isn't there one where she like shouts the ref or is it beth mead there's that that famous clip where one. yeah of them, like, i know what you mean but i can't. can't exactly but i would like more of that yeah more yeah. of that would be good becky
2: uh, alternative commentary from anyone ridiculous
0: a bit like sky sports fan zone when they had the fans that used to do the commentary of the games you remember that back in the day no do you not know, remember sky sports fan zone it was like for years i didn't have sky as a like um. younger person's Sucks to be you, but anyway, <laughs> back in the day in the Premier League, they used to have Sky Sports fan zone. I mean, I say back in the day, it wasn't even that long ago, but essentially you could press the red button and you could get two blokes in a booth <laughs> at Sanford Bridge, God. one Chelsea fan, one Arsenal fan, and they would be doing the commentary. Yeah. And then if if their team scored, they would go crazy and like really rub in each other's face. It was really good. Uh, and I
3: I wouldn't be able to they,
0: psychologically deal with that. They tried to bring it back recently and it, it, didn't, it didn't work.
2: I would, like fans and we can all vote for who we want weekly i would like jilly unfiltered i don't want you you're know, like being professional commentary. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah i want the you that you bring here
0: <laughs> um yeah we see that in american sports we see people mic'd up for warm-ups and mic'd
3: up for games but we've never really done that in England. in america as well don't they have like a kid's NFL
2: broadcast they had oh the Nickelodeon God. one yeah. they have the
0: Nickelodeon one where people get um, gunged yeah Yeah. Exactly. That's <laughs> Not, it's, like, it's like on a green screen if, if, you your team, if
2: your team concedes you also get gunged <laughs> I would have gunged Double AKB after that first goal <laughs> you know
0: what gunging in the WSL would be elite I think we should bring that I would love to see Jilly's face if she got gunged like when you got sent oh, off that time me. when you got those two yellows to West Ham imagine if someone just be able to press a gun button when you're going through the tunnel <laughs> Beep. gunged that would be great right um, quickly onto the actual football though from that one because yeah it wasn't an absolute classic Liverpool actually will feel really disappointed they didn't get the win Uh, Gilly Flatty's referee corner what the fuck was that disallowed goal about yeah
1: ref watch um (laughs) Uh, well, she's got she's got a notebook and she's writing the names <laughs> in obviously Fern Whelan was actually filming me because I was eating <laughs> crisps in the room where is this video we need to see right. it can you get Fern uh, to send I it to us I actually have it I'll put it in the um, whatsapp out. group so I'm watching it and I've literally got a crisp in my mouth and I'm like I didn't know whether to take the crisp out because I was so Yeah, <laughs> <vooming. laughs> I was like Nah, how have you done that? And then obviously then when we see the replay, for me, I don't think if Courtney Bosnan, like I love Courtney, like really nice girl, but I don't think if she reacted like that, if she didn't react like that and she just went and got the ball out the back of the net, there would be no goal disallowed. Her reaction, and I think the ref panics because I think the ref saw her reaction and thought, oh, I've missed something quite big here. Yeah. I'm going to disallow it. Kerry Holland does not push Courtney Bosnan enough To stop her saving a ball a couple of seconds later from the initial touch of her arm. I think it was a really bad decision.
0: And she gets away, like Brosnan gets away from her by the time that the shot is actually, because she's, yeah, like you say, she's well away from her. And I think when you see this, uh, thank God we had so many Sky Sports cameras in the building. When you see the camera zoom in on the conversation between Brosnan and the referee, it's almost like the referee's chatting to her being like, well, what went down? And Brosnan's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she's like, okay, don't worry. And then she's like telling Liverpool players to get away. And it feels like, it, it was in that moment that she was like, oh, I've got to do something here, but I don't actually really know what happened. It was that sort of panic. And Liverpool played pretty well in the second half, especially. So it's a tough result for them to take. They obviously still have the point. They're probably going to be safe. Um, I want to touch on with you, Jesse, the slightly wiggy uh, formation selections that Brian Sorensen went for because we had Gabby George playing on the left of the front three, the highest she's probably ever started for Everton. She obviously does get up the pitch. She's very important for them, but she normally plays as like a win back or a left back, or she's played at centre to defence too. And then we had Jess Park and Aggie Beaver-Jones playing in the middle and everything looked so completely narrow because of that. And Everton were trying to get up the pitch quickly, but then had no players. And it was just kind of like endless through balls that didn't lead anywhere. It was bizarre. He was very, very much going like a beautiful mind. I'm just going to put players everywhere.
3: <laughs> yeah, it is, it is a bit strange. And I just feel like Everton... I can't figure out what they want to do going forward at all. They've got two very talented players in, in Jess Park and Aggie Beaver-Jones. And I know Serena Vigman, for example, likes Jess Park as 10. We've seen that for England. I feel like Jess Park obviously is playing there. But where we've really seen her excel, I still think, is out wide. I think Aggie Beaver-Jones has shown that she's probably best out wide although we have seen her play as a centre forward before I'm really not sure if she's a 10 slash 8 slash midfield vibes which is what they were kind of both going for um, and then what's really weird is you've got Hannah Benison on the bench who's the only player of the three who actually plays for Everton long term who doesn't get any minutes and she is a 10 a very talented 10 so for me it just feels like you know we can all see sometimes when managers don't have the pieces at their disposal, they start moving players around to make it fit. But for me, this just feels like an example where you're shooting yourself in the foot when, especially we saw Nicolene Sorensen, who's great, um, get a lot of space down that right side. And I'm like, you've got two talented dribbly people who you're playing in the middle when we can all see there's space for talented dribbly people to do things out wide. So why would you not just move they're Mount White. Um, I feel like he he's just wasting ABJ and Jess Park's kind of natural ability.
0: And I suppose the irony is is that he can afford to waste them because they're going home at the end of the season. So maybe he feels maybe like... Maybe he
3: just doesn't like dribbly people because obviously he never <laughs> played Gio <laughs> Kiaros yeah. and she is also a dribbly person. Yeah. But Jonas Heideville doesn't play her at all and she obviously went off injured, but... Um, what's maybe the dribbly agenda guys <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I, I love dribbly people so
0: before we go also want to mention the relegation battle because we've talked about the top of the table but it is so tight down there and some really interesting games Reading getting a massive point against Brighton yesterday coming back from two goals down Emma Harries, she's an icon, she's a legend, she is the moment. <laughs> when you look at, when I was mapping out kind of the top fours, um, next few fixtures, it's actually really, really exciting down the bottom as well because Brighton have some massive games coming up. They've got Spurs at the end of April. They've got West Ham, which is going to be a massive game for them and probably one they, they would circle as something, they'd get some points over. Uh, and then they've got Leicester on the last day of the season now... With those games on the horizon, Brighton could find themselves safe by that point. But Reading really needed to get something because they are just four points clear of Leicester City. Leicester getting absolutely tonked by Villa. But for Leicester, it's just going to be about getting a few points uh, against some of those teams in and around them. And who are playing next week? Leicester at home to Reading, (gasps) Jesse, It's going to go down to the wire.
3: Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, as stuff gets tighter at the top, it also stays tight at the bottom. And when Brighton would 2-0 up, I was like, oh, OK, you know, this is where we it starts to all become clear. And then with the Reading comeback, I was like, they just keep holding everyone into the vortex together. <laughs> um, yeah, it's exciting. I I mean, I do worry a bit. Well, I would have worried for Reading if they'd lost this game. I think obviously coming back, you know, shows that they've, they've got the kind of oomph to to stay in stay in the division. Um, I'm still inclined to think Leicester will go down just because it feels like we're getting excited for there to be uh, you know, a big fight. Which always happens. Why do they maybe, lie to us? Yeah,
2: yeah. But um, I still believe that it's going to be a straight shootout on the last day of the season now.
3: I hope so. It would
2: be that so would good. would be a lot
3: of fun. It would be a lot of
0: fun. Jilly, do you think we're reaching the point where we've got had two game teams going down, two
1: teams going up? Yeah, a million percent. I think it is um I think it's time to grow our league as well. Um but also I think, yeah, get two teams down, and then teams might actually not no, they don't take it seriously, but best. yeah, I think sometimes only having one team down lets a lot of teams off the hook and a lot of top people at clubs off the hook. So what about if you do get someone like Brighton who have put money into it and a, a fancy training ground, if they go down to the championship, maybe that's the wake up call that they need. So and same with Reading Um, but yeah I think it is time to went down to come up yes it's going to be really interesting to see what
0: happens over the next couple of weeks some massive games that's all we've got time for for today's show we're going to be back on Thursday with a football versus transphobia special we'll see you all then